Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Welcome, friends, to this episode of the Working Therapist Podcast. I'm Hayden Bullock, your host, and today we have Nikki Grates with us. Nikki is a physical therapist with PDT. So welcome, Nikki, and why don't you tell everybody here a little bit about what you do, how long you've been with us. Just introduce yourself. As Hayden said, I'm Nikki Grates. I'm a member of the Purple Team out in Southern Pines. I'm a physical therapist, and I've been with PDT for just about two years now. But prior to that, I was a student with PDT for six Mm -hmm. months. So it's been a little bit longer than two years in total. Right now, I'm working in our Southern Pines office as well as Sand Hills Children's Center, and I do some outreach as well. I think everybody should do like you did, Nikki, because by the time you started work, I think you already knew like the whole deal. You knew everything, and literally, I think your schedule was full like week two. Yeah. (laughs) And you've been busy like every minute since. (laughs) <laughs> so Nikki does a f- fabulous job. And so the reason we decided to do this podcast today, and it's on Torticollis, and Nikki sees lots of our little tiny babies with this, has been and is now, but is because I was attending your Purple Tea meeting, and you were presenting on Torticollis, and I thought it was fabulous. So I told Jaren, I was like, we have to do a podcast on this topic. And so I guess this is what you get for doing a great job. Now you have to do a podcast with me, which I'm happy that you're here. (laughs) So you did a great job, even for a speech therapist. I was extremely informed and you did a fabulous job. It was fascinating. So I thought since we also see so many babies with this in our three clinics, then I thought it's obviously a topic that we really need to talk about. So, So that's how we got here. Everybody history. Here's how we got there. All right. So now, why don't you tell everybody what torticollis is? Just sort of introduce the topic. Let's get started from there. Okay. Well, torticollis is uh, something that affects typically babies, and it affects their neck. It's actually from the Latin word tortoise, which means twisted, and collis, which means neck or collar. So it's defined as an abnormal twisting of the neck, which can cause the head to be held in a rotated or tilted position. Some babies I see, well, I just see PTs treating, and sometimes they look very twisted or very sort of dysmorphic. But then other babies I see, it looks pretty, like you can't really tell. I mean, can you see the neck being twisted? Well, you have a trained eye, so you probably see a lot more than I see because I don't. Yeah, well, a true torticollis affects the sternocleidomastoid muscle. Mm -hmm. So when it's a true torticollis, you're getting a tilt and a rotation piece. So then they have a preference to only look one way. So Uh when you're evaluating a kid that comes in with it, you want to look if they're able to rotate and look both directions, if they're able to hold their head in midline. And a lot of times there can be facial abnormalities from the torticollis and some flattening of the back of the head, which is called plagiocephaly. So from my perspective, just again, untrained eye looking at this, but I see lots of babies coming in the office and some babies I've seen, they really do like their eyes look like they're, you know, out of, they're not lined up right. Or their little ears will start to look like one's up higher, one's lower. That's kind of what you're saying, right? Yeah, sometimes one eye will be smaller than the other. You can have one cheek that's bigger, smaller than the other. The jaw can look a little angular and ears are a little off. But a lot of times you can really tell just by the head shape too. Yeah, I've seen all that before. And it can really, I think for some babies, I guess it can really start to look a little dysmorphic and 
I guess for lack of a better term, freak some people out. Because you know? <laughs> if you see your baby starting to look a little funny, because it looks a little funny. I, I mean, it would start to freak me out a little bit. Yeah, I could see that. So what's happening? What is happening when all this is going on? You're talking about the muscles are shortened. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, torticollis can be caused for a lot of reasons. It can just be their position in utero. It can be developing a preference after they've been born. They're always turning one direction. It can be vascular. It can be due to vision. There's a lot of things that can cause torticollis. Uh-huh. So you kind of have to figure out what the cause was before you're treating it. Right. So like can just positioning of like in a car seat cause it? I mean, that seems pretty mild, but you're saying that's basically what could also potentially cause it. Yeah. A lot of times parents always put their baby down facing the same side in their crib. Yep. So they're always looking to the right for their parent to come in the door. So they're starting to develop a preference to look to the right because they're not having to look to the left as much. And if parents aren't educated and don't know that if you're going to do that, that you need to present things to their left just as much, then they can start showing that preference. So somebody that maybe just was positioned funny in utero, they could come out with this torticollis issue. But then other babies are saying it can develop as they get a little older. So like a three-month-old can start to present with a torticollis, whereas prior to age zero to three months, they didn't have it. But then they've developed it just by positioning. Yes. So what do y'all mostly see more? Where babies were positioned funny in utero or positioned like after they got here, like in the crib or a car seat or something? It really is a mixture. A lot of times with twins, one or the mm-hmm. other will come to the clinic with torticollis just because they're cramped before they're born. But then there's other kids that come in. Sandifer syndrome is pretty common too, where torticollis is related to reflux. Right. Um, so reflux is causing abnormal positioning of the head. Mm. I feel like we see quite a bit of that. I've had a few babies come in that have had a brachial plexus injury at yep. birth some kind of traction injury, and that can cause it. So I feel like it's really a mix out of all of it. So you just need to know the right questions to ask when a parent comes in. And I didn't know the thing about reflux. I mean, I tell you, reflux is, gosh, I deal with so many kids who have reflux problems for different issues than what you're dealing with, but I did not know that it could cause torticollis also. It is like the root of all evil, reflux. Go ahead. It is, (laughs) and you can't really fix torticollis until you've worked with the reflux and you've managed the reflux. Yeah. You can stretch the muscles, but they're going to continue to posture in that way if you don't fix the reflux first. So basically then, lots of different reasons a child can be diagnosed with torticollis and lots of reasons that you see kids diagnosed with that and that you're treating for. So what do you do when a baby comes in? Like what kind of, I guess just talk to me about a little bit about the evaluation and what you look for. What do you do when you evaluate a child? All right. Well, first you have to get a good history, kind of find out how big the baby was, how were they born, were they breached, all those kinds of questions. Right. You need to do a good observation, looking at the baby, checking out their facial features, checking out their head shape from all different positions. It really depends the age of the baby, how you're going to evaluate. The most successful you're going to be is if a baby's younger, if they don't have head control yet, then you're going to be able to fix it a lot faster. So with those babies, you just want to put them in all positions that they're capable of being in, on their back, on their side, on their tummy, in supported sitting positions and seeing where their head's falling and where their preferences are in all those positions. And the reason they're easier to treat when they're younger is just because they're more moldable or because they're just not moving as much. 
it's a combination. They aren't moving as much and they'll tolerate your stretching a little bit better and they don't have head control yet. So you can put them in the right position so that you're strengthening the right muscles and you're working on gaining their head control through midline so they don't have that strong preference yet. Because right. if a baby has head control and they're always tilted to one side, then it's affecting their vision. It's affecting their idea of what midline is. And so the tilt is what feels normal to them. So then they're more resistant to trying to fix it. And so tell everybody what midline is. Well, midline is just head upright, vertical, you know. Looking straight no. ahead. Yeah. The tilt is ear to shoulder. So you don't want that tilt ear to shoulder. Yes. Okay. And then how can it affect bottle feeding or feeding? Because, you know, that's my issue, my area. So I'm going to ask any feeding related question whenever possible. I can see how it would affect breastfeeding if their head is tilted a certain way or whatever. So is that what you're saying for breastfeeding cause a problem? If their head's tilted a certain way, then they may not be able to latch on or? It can, but one thing that's good is you can use feeding to help fix torticollis because if a baby is motivated to eat, if they're eating out of a bottle, you can move the bottle so that they're rotating one direction or you can position them in a certain way for breastfeeding so that they're looking a certain way. So you can kind of use feeding as a treatment. I can see how that would help, Nikki. So what else do you ask to get a good birth history to find out maybe the cause of this torticollis? What other things do you ask and do? Well, you can definitely ask if reflux is a concern and if it is, if it's being treated, are they on any kind of medication? Asking if there's any concerns about vision, Mm because sometimes if a baby isn't tracking well, they might have a better visual field, and so they're tilting for that reason. Asking a lot of questions about how they were born, were they C-section, or is it a vaginal birth, were they breached, how are they delivered, those kinds of things. I could almost see if a baby may be identified as having torticollis before they may even be identified to have a vision issue. If vision is the cause, I could see how PT (laughs) might pick up on that before maybe somebody else would because, you know, you really, babies don't see that clearly when they first get here anyway. So Mm -hmm. I could see that. Has that ever happened to you? Before, were you identified a vision problem first or seen a baby with a vision problem and had torticollis? I haven't, but I actually know a lot about that from Kirstie because oh. that's what happened with her son. Really? And she started getting torticollis because of the vision, and she picked up on it and went to the doctor and had it looked at. I did not know that story. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah, I completely can see that happening since we work with so many kids who have visual field losses and things mm-hmm. like that. I could see how, how that would, would impact your position and all that. Okay. So then what do you do next? You get a good birth history. We did that. Now what do you do? I usually start, I have the baby laying on their back and I look at vision first. I have them tracking toys left to right because then you're getting them to rotate their head. You're getting kind of an idea of their resting position and how much they're able to rotate and how much they're able to track something. Right. And I kind of start laying on their back and I roll them over onto their belly and see what they're doing developmentally as well. Are they starting to roll? Are they pushing up? When they are in sitting positions, are they reaching with both hands equally? Because if you're always turning to your right, a lot of time there's a neglect of the left side, so babies won't reach with their left hand as much. Ah, yeah. I usually get kids on the ball and look at their head writing and their balance reactions. So if they're tilted to one side, are they able to bring their opposite ear to their shoulder? Do they put their hand down and try to stay upright? But it kind of depends on the age they're at, some of the skills you're working at. Because if they don't have head control, they're not expected to head right yet. 
Yeah, that would make sense. This is where I walk in and see the physical therapist playing with babies. And I'm like, y'all make it look too easy. I'm like, y'all are just hanging out with this baby. I totally, you know, and like, really, this is not hard work, but I'm just teasing you. It is hard work. <laughs> it's specialized, specific work. You have to know what you're doing or you could really miss something. So I'm mm-hmm. not making light of what you do. I'm just saying from the outside looking in, I'm like, she's just hanging out with that baby. Hold on. <laughs> okay. So, but I get it. Okay. So are there any special things you like to use to work on a lot of this special toys you like to use? And is there anything you recommend to family specifically that you like sort of little tricks of the trade as related to how you're doing this assessment? Um, not really. I mean, usually when the babies come in, any kind of rattle or something that makes noise, mm-hmm. um, they're likely to look at. Sometimes if they're really young, they're not really into the toys yet. So just tracking mom's voice or dad's voice, trying to look and find a parent, that kind of thing, if they're not old enough to really be tracking toys yet. Yeah, I guess it depends on the age as to what you're doing with them and all that stuff. And I can also see why, based on just a lot of the stuff you're saying, we have a policy here. If we get a referral for a baby with torticollis, we don't make those babies wait. We go ahead and try and do our best to get them in. But as you're talking, I can see why that's so important. That's been our policy forever. But now I can understand why that's a good policy, because really these people can't really wait for therapy. They got to go ahead and get in and get this thing treated so that it can get resolved. Because in most cases, would you say that if you start getting them in and doing the right thing, it can be resolved mostly? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm pretty successful, especially if I get a baby in two to three months, then a lot of times they're out of there in a couple months at max. But the older they are, sometimes the longer it takes because they're really developing preferences. Yeah. I mean, I could see that. So yeah. So I think we have a good policy. So what are the long-term effects? If torticollis is untreated long-term, what could happen? Well, long-term as adults, you can have TMJ problems. So some of those facial abnormalities I was talking about earlier, you can have some of those, you can have TMJ because your jaw is a little malaligned. You can affect how you're crawling, how you're reaching and playing for toys. It can affect your walking. A lot of times if kids are tilted to one side, they're also weight shifted over that side. Mm -hmm. So that affects crawling because crawling and walking is all about weight shifting. So they can be a little delayed in those skills. Yeah. can be delayed with sitting, kind of all those milestones that you approach, you can have some delays in. But then as you get older, it's more just your concept and idea of midline. So it can affect your balance. And then, like I said before, it can affect that jaw alignment. So you can have some pain later in life. If it is something that was persistent and it affected your spine, you can get some scoliosis and stuff like that too. Well, then I can see how, you know, I mean, the body's going to do what it's going to do and people are going to move. So even if you've got torticollis, people are going to develop and move. But I can see how then subsequently, if the torticollis wasn't treated, then I can just imagine other issues that might be related to that. How, you know, like you say, crawling on their hands, they may not develop adequate like strength through their shoulders or strength through their arms because they're not, you know, getting on all fours and crawling or whatever. That's just for my, just one thing I'm thinking of as you're talking, because the body's going to do what it's going to do and it's going to move and develop. And so if you've got this underlying issue, it could prevent some things. Is there a time when it will be too late to treat for a child with torticollis? Is there a, like, honey, this boat sailed, your ship sailed, you're done, you've, you've got torticollis for your life? <laughs> no, I, I don't think so, because there's different types of things that you can use that, I mean, we'll talk about that with interventions. And you can always be educating parents, and you can get to a point where you might plateau a little bit, mm-hmm. kind of when you know that there might not be anything else you can do if, if you've tried all the treatment options that you have. All right, good. So it's never too late. 
I don't think so. <laughs> That's right. Well, we're not really a never too late kind of crowd anyway, so it really doesn't work for us. We're like, yeah, no, we can, we can, let's make it happen. We can do something. I, we, let's just give it our best. All right. So talk to me a little bit about interventions and treatment. If you're treating a child with colitis, where do you start? Um, the biggest piece is parent buy-in and parent education because mm, mm-hmm. a baby coming in once a week to see you, if you're stretching and doing things, if it's not getting done at home, they're not going to make any improvements because they're developing these preferences. And if it's not worked on as much as they're doing it to counter it, then you're not going to make the improvements. So you're being right. really upfront with parents and telling them that and telling them that, you know, every diaper change, you need to be doing this. You need to do it throughout the day. You need to make modifications of positioning that's going to carry over throughout the day. That's the most important piece. Yeah, I could see that, especially with, well, with every treatment, I believe, especially with torticollis, because this is a type of diagnosis and treatment and situation where you can get them in and then sort of, I guess, quote unquote, get them fixed and then they're out. But if you don't have the carryover, then really there's a good chance that they may not improve. Well, I guess they would improve some, but they would make as fast the gains as they should or could. Yeah. I feel like it's important to give parents strategies that they can use that are going to be easy for them. So giving them some environmental modifications that they can do one time and then they're just set up. So if a baby's always looking to the right, have them flip them so that their head is resting at the foot of the crib. So then they're looking to their left or changing where the car seat is in the car so that they're looking the opposite direction. I've had some parents who had bracelets or something on their baby. So I've had them put it on the other hand or the other foot. Good idea. So just things that they can do, but they're not having to do multiple times. Right. Every day. Yeah. Um, They're functional, real, like really functional, real life situations and little changes mm -hmm. they can make to make it happen. Yeah. Because I think having a baby for zero to three months, it's not a time period for wimps. Like it's tough. It is on Mm -hmm. a zero to three month old baby. It is serious amount of work. (laughs) And then even after that, you still like you do everything one handed because you got the baby in one hand and you're doing everything, you know, with another hand. So I think I like the whole idea of functional interventions and functional things that you can do that aren't where you've got to take time of your day to do extra stuff on top of just regular. You just changing the position of the crib is easy thing. For example, yeah. Yeah, and you definitely want to give stretches and pictures and handouts to parents. I have a notebook in our office, and I've got like a little section on torticollis with some pictures that I just make copies of and send home. Mm -hmm. And some of them are just positioning, just ways to carry the baby and ways to hold the baby. So whenever you're carrying them, carrying them on their side and their football stretch so that you're stretching their neck or every diaper change, do a rotation stretch. So, I mean, babies, you're changing their diaper multiple times during the day. So you're getting the stretch multiple times and it only takes about 20 to 30 seconds. And it's not a huge impact in the day. It's something that can be done really, really easily and worked into their schedule. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. There you go. That's perfect. Okay. So what else? Stretching is one thing, obviously. And then any more things with stretching? That's when you have to kind of figure out which muscles are affected. So I said a while ago, true torticollis is your SCM. So you're going to get a side bend one direction and a rotation the opposite direction. So if your left SCM is affected, your left ear is going to come to your left shoulder, but you're going to be looking to your right. Ah. So that's where it gets a little tricky as far as treatment because you're going to want them to rotate the opposite direction and then bring the opposite ear to the shoulder. It's kind of hard to describe without a baby or a picture or diagram. (laughs) A baby helps, yes. (laughs) Or like a baby doll or something. (laughs) 
That's right. <laughs> yeah, I get it um, via podcast, but that's right. You can go look up pictures. <laughs> um, yeah. I got it. Okay. So then help me understand. Keep going with that. Okay. So if your left SCM, your sternocleidomastoid, is the <laughs> muscle that's tight, then the preference for the baby is going to be to look to their right, but they're going to be bringing their left ear to their left shoulder. So that muscle is going to be shortened and tightened, and that's the way it activates. So that's the way they're going to be looking. So you need to do the opposite of those things to stretch that muscle. Okay, and then on the show notes, I just want to tell the people who are listening that there will be pictures of what Nikki's talking about right now. So it'll be a little clearer if you pull up the show notes and look at the picture so that you can get a visual with the auditory. So what's next then? Well, I always follow up any stretching with some form of strengthening. Right. So if a baby doesn't have head control, that's a lot of tummy time, a lot of forward-facing carrying, so they're gaining head control while you're stretching those muscles. Mm. If they already do have head control, then you want to do a lot more head riding and work on the ball so that you're strengthening the opposite side. Because when one side is tight, the other side is stretched out, which usually means that that side's weaker. Makes sense. And I've heard you and Kirsty talking a little bit about this through the years, about the strengthening the side that's looser, right? Mm -hmm. That makes sense to me. Yeah, that just seems like smart therapy. Yeah, I use that for anything, not just torticollis. If a muscle group is tight and I'm stretching it, I'm going to be strengthening the opposite side. So while you're gaining range of motion, you're keeping it because you're strengthening it and you're working through that motion you're gaining. Hmm. So it's not just for torticollis, but just if your heel cords are tight and you're stretching them, you want to strengthen the front of your dorsiflexors so your shins are stronger so that you can keep that range that you're stretching. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it just makes good sense. Then after you stretch, then it sort of keeps that stretch working because you strengthen the opposite muscle group, right? Yeah, and you're keeping that range that you're gaining. Yeah, that's a better way to say it. So strengthening also along with stretching. So you wouldn't do one without the other? No. Okay, got it. All right, then what else can you do for interventions? Well, one good way for strengthening is just working on rolling. A lot of times mm. with sternocleidomastoid babies will only roll one direction because they're using their stronger side to clear their head. So mm. you can work on rolling the opposite direction because they're having to use those muscles to lift their head and clear it. So that's an easy way for strengthening. But once you start with the traditional stretching and strengthening and you're still not seeing all the results you want, you can try a few other things. You can try kinesio taping. Right. So, for example, if you have a baby that has a head tilt to the left, you're going to want to tape on the right side to help facilitate them into a more midline position. So you'll take the tape up behind their ear, and you're going to pull it down towards their right shoulder so that you're facilitating a right head tilt, but you want to get them into a midline position. Right. Yes. And again, there'll be a picture of this in the show notes. So for people who are listening, there's a great picture here that I'm looking at. So then... What would be the directions to the parents? Would they leave that tape on from session to session or would they, what would happen with the tape? Well, prior to doing the kinesio tape, you usually need to do a test strip, especially if a baby has sensitive skin. So I just cut a little piece and put it on their arm or on their back and just leave it on for most of the session. And then when I take it off, I just look for any skin abnormalities. And if I don't find anything, then the next session, I'll try the taping And you just want to instruct the parent that it can get wet. You can wash them. You can keep it on until it starts to come off. And that's going to be your best option because if you try to pull it off when it's still sticky, it's going to hurt a little bit. It's kind of like a Band-Aid if you're pulling it off. So if you wait till it starts to come off, then it'll peel right off. 
And you mm. just want to make sure that you're checking that there's no prolonged redness or skin irritation from it afterward. Gotcha. So tell me what the tape does. It just sort of pulls on the side that's more stretched out to bring the head more back to midline, right? Yeah, and it's giving them a cue. So if they're trying to go into that tilt that they're used to, the tape is going to pull. So it kind of gives them that internal feedback to keep their head up in midline. Yeah, that makes sense. My description was a little less technical. (laughs) So it pulls them in the opposite direction, basically. It's what you're doing, right? (laughs) Got it. (laughs) Okay, so you kind of resort to taping if the strengthening and stretching aren't giving you the fast enough progress. Yeah, and a lot of times the rotation piece will correct itself pretty quickly, but then you're still stuck with that head tilt, and that's the part that's hard to correct, especially as babies are older. So it's something that you can try with a parent, and if that doesn't work, you can also get an orthotic, which is called a tot collar, Mm -hmm. um, tubular orthosis. Mm. And so that's a little collar that goes around their neck, and you have little plastic pieces that it's going to work similarly to the kinesio tape, but the plastic pieces are going to be on the tight side. So it's going to prevent you from going into that position. Ah, I bet that would be uncomfortable. What do you think? Um, They're really not that bad. It's kind of that soft piping material. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sticky. And then you just have those two hard pieces that just don't let you tilt. Again, in the show notes, I've said this now, but there are pictures of this. There's a picture of a tot collar. I make those uh, plastic things into straws. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's where yeah. we differ. You go with the tot collar. I go with the straw. <laughs> when you see the picture, it looks hard, but it's really not. I, it's the same stuff I make a straw out of. It's very moldable. Mm-hmm. Have you had to use many of those, though, Nikki, really? Wow. I've had two or three kids that we've used them for, and huh. I think two of them we've seen a big improvement. One, right. not so much, but that baby was also not really a baby. He was two, you know, he was much older and really started getting that preference and that visual input was always skewed because it was always tilted. And wow. I guess a two-year-old, you're really probably got to do something a lot more, I guess, invasive. And Mm -hmm. a top collar, I guess, would be considered to be a little bit more invasive than just Mm -hmm. stretching and, and especially more than the kinesio taping, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an orthotic, so you have to go through an orthotist, and uh, it's not just something that we can make. And Gotcha. So you do have to get an orthotist involved. I was going to ask you who fit the child for that top collar. An orthotist does it? Well, we can just take a circumference measurement and get it to the orthotist, but they'll order it for you. So if you don't have a good orthotist, if you're listening, you need to get one. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you go to Walmart to find one of those, but yeah. Okay. People have resources out there. Okay. So, and then tell me about helmet. Cause I've sometimes see babies coming in with helmets. I saw one not too long ago where the mama had bedazzled her helmet for her little baby girl. And it was stinking cute. Let me tell you that woman had taken a bedazzler and she had rocked that helmet out. But tell me when you would use a helmet. Well, helmets aren't for treating torticollis. It's for treating the uh, plagiocephaly uh. that can happen from torticollis. So if you're having a preference to always look to the right, you can get a lot of flattening on that side of your head. So the helmet is going to help reshape the shape of your head. And before your skull fuses is going to be your optimal time to use it. So sutures begin to fuse around 13 to 18 months. Mm. So if a helmet is going to be beneficial, using it prior to a year is where you're going to see your most gains from it. Gotcha. Well, this woman had on this helmet that she had bedazzled, she had a cute little butterfly. She had done like a little ladybug. It was attractive. She was impressive. I told her she had like a market. Because <laughs> some of the helmets, you know, they look a little hospitally sterile. 
Yeah. You know, so, but not this one. Okay, so I got it. So really the helmet is not treating the torticollis then. No, it's treating the plagiocephaly, which resulted from the torticollis. I got it. Good. And then how long would a child have to wear a helmet? Like, what's the duration? Well, they're custom made to fit their head. So you have to go get them made. And then the child should be in them for like at least 23 or 24 hours. They should sleep in them, wear them all day because to reshape the bony formation. So if you're taking it off, then you're not doing any good. Right. So they would wear it for like 23 hours, almost every minute of every day. But then... Mm -hmm. What extended period of time? Would they wear it for a month, two months, three months? Like how long does it take to change the shape of your head? It depends on the age and the rate of growth. Like, you know, babies going through growth spurts. But if a baby's getting a helmet, they're going to go to a special doctor for it. And so they're going to be going to follow-up appointments. Sometimes they have to get a second helmet. So as their head is changing shape, they'll remold them to get another helmet. Sometimes the doctor's think that they've made enough improvements and they don't have to wear the helmet anymore. So it just kind of depends on the rate of growth and formation. Gotcha. So it kind of varies with everybody then. Mm -hmm. And the age. Okay. So Nikki, I've got a couple questions here. First is, what do you expect the treatment duration to be for a child with torticollis? I'm not talking about like the individual session length. I just meant like how long would you expect to see a child in the office who's diagnosed with torticollis? Well, it definitely depends on... First of all, their age and level of head control when they come in depends on the level of parent follow-through at home and how much they're doing at home and kind of the reasoning behind the torticollis. Like I said earlier, if a baby has reflux, if that's not being treated, your duration of treatment is going to be much longer because the torticollis is going to keep presenting itself. I've had one baby that's come in that was a little bit older, so I was up front with the parent and told them that it might take a little bit longer. Well, then they came back in after the evaluation and were completely fine because mom did everything <laughs> at home and really worked through it. The yay so, mom. That baby one time. Um, <laughs> but then I've had another baby that has come in for treatment and they've gotten better. So we've discharged and then they've come back because uh. they went through spurt and those muscles shortened back up again. Wow. So you can see that too. But for kind of an average, if a baby's coming in two to three months old and you're getting them before they have that head control, usually you can have them treated and discharged within two to three months. Oh, okay. Gotcha. What ages are you seeing most often for babies? What are the ages of the referrals we're getting for torticollis? We've done a lot of talking to doctors in Southern Pines lately. When we've had students, we've had them make brochures to give to doctor's office on torticollis and how much easier it's to treat when it's caught early. So the referrals we've gotten lately have been young, like two, three months, maybe four months. You still get that older baby in every once in a while, but I would say the majority of what we're getting in now are younger. So I said it's working talking to the doctor. It is working. I was taking notes on the whole student brochure thing. That's a great idea. Smart. And also good for the student, too, to learn how to communicate with the physicians effectively. Mm -hmm. So obviously it's working. Smart. That's a great idea. Because that was the next question I had was, what type of communication do you do back with the doctor with a baby with torticollis? Do you send them a note every time? Do you send them the discharge summary, the initial? What do you normally do to communicate back with your doctors relating to this diagnosis? Typically, I mean, when the baby comes in, we 
treat them. And then when they're discharged, we just send a discharge summary to the doctor. But sometimes if there is more stuff going on, there might be more communication with the doctor. I had a baby that came in and I even pulled Kirstie in on her because, you know, I'd seen a lot of torticollis, but I knew that something was different and it wasn't a true torticollis. Some of the stuff we were doing, just things were different. And mom had a history of Chiari malformation. Uh So we did some research and found out that they can be related. And if a baby has it, it can present as torticollis. So there was more communication with the doctor there. And we referred to neurology to get it checked. It turned out that she didn't have it. And she was just a quirky little baby. And she's fine now. But I'm still in contact with mom. Um, She texts me and she's like, she's walking and doing great. That's awesome. I love it when therapists and families connect like that. Because as a parent of a child with special needs and stuff, you really connect with a therapist. And especially if somebody's helping your baby because you know, especially your first baby, but no matter if it's the 10th baby or the first baby, it doesn't really matter because each little baby is individual and specific. And so you're a little bit, no matter, even with when I had my fourth, I still, he was different than the other three I'd had. And so I thought if something's wrong, you need that person to connect with to help you. And so I could see how that therapist family connection would be so important and major and make them feel like, okay, yes, this you're going to be fine. He's a little cattywampus right this minute. That's what I call torticollis. You're a little bit cattywampus, but you're going to be all right. You're going to, we're going to straighten you out. <laughs> they look a little sideways. <laughs> That's a little my speech therapy term. Okay, so we talked about the communication with the doctor, and I could see how, especially if you're picking up on other things, and normally physical therapist is first on the scene, so they're picking up if there's other things. So it's the same type of communication you would do with the doctor for any child who might present with some other weird dish things or other areas of concern maybe. Yeah, and if you're noticing something with vision, you would make a referral to an ophthalmologist, um, things like that. Right. So, Nikki, as we kind of wrapping up this whole topic and everything, I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. No problem. This has been great. Very educational again. I got to ask all my questions. I was impressed the first time. I'm impressed the second time. It was great. So we're very fortunate to have people as knowledgeable as you here at PDT helping out little PDT peeps is what I call them. (laughs) So thank you again for being here. Okay, so Nikki, as we're starting to wrap this up, let me just ask you, the therapist is listening and they don't have the resources of another physical therapist to ask or somebody, another physical therapist to work with on a regular basis, then what are your suggestions for them? What are your recommendations? If they're not treating a lot of children with torticollis, if they're just new to the field or something, what are your recommendations? Well, I definitely recommend to just treat what you see. If a child is presenting and they're tilting one direction and they're tight on that side, you want to stretch those muscles. And just with any treatment, if you're stretching one muscle group, you want to strengthen the opposite side. And there's a lot of information out on the internet now about torticollis. I have a lot of parents that come in already doing some of the things because they've found resources online. So there's plenty of stuff you can find online or You can go to continuing education courses. I went to a full-day course just on torticollis, which was really educational. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, stay tuned to this podcast. We'll have other topics on this potentially torticollis, other related topics, so they can tune in here. And then I think also one thing that I would recommend to people is just using your resources. If you don't have a physical therapist that you work with, then, you know, regularly, then you know, contact your school where you graduated from or people you graduated with or, you know, just use your resources. Like you said, the internet that's out there, just sort of figure out, ask people if you don't know. But that's for any discipline, really. So again, thank you, Nikki. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks for being here. Thanks for all this great info. That was fabulous. Okay, so if you want the show notes for this podcast, then there's been lots of great information. So go to our website at www.pediatricdt.com 
slash podcast, and you'll see all the show notes there for all the podcasts we've done. So go ahead and go there and get all the information. It's been great. And thanks, everybody, for listening. I had a great time, and I'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 